This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, July 15th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. We are going to start this Friday edition of Ozarks at Large with our friend Michael Tilley, who is in his Fort Smith office. He's with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, happy mid-July. Happy mid-July. I'm uh, I'm loving um, loving this cool weather we're having here in July. Unfortunately, the cool weather we're the weather we're having today is going to be considered cool compared to I think what we're going to be doing about this time next week. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go find my old grandma's root cellar and just live in there. I think for the next six months. It might be a good six idea, weeks. I mean, good idea to do that tomorrow because tomorrow is World Snake Day. And you might find some snakes down there in the root cellar. Yeah, I'm kind of like Indiana Jones. On, I hate snakes. Just, nope. Well, how do you feel about rivers, like the Arkansas River and the Arkansas tonnage, or the tonnage on the Arkansas River that you report on and talk business politics this week? Well, I feel like it's heavy. The uh, commercial tonnage shipped on the Arkansas River in the first half of the year is up 3%, thanks in large part to a 20% increase in sand, gravel, and rock. Um, this according to the U.S. Corps of Engineer numbers. Um, and again, just a reminder, I like to, and I'm probably one of the few journalists in the state, but I like to keep up with this tonnage shipped on the river because it, it has somewhat, I think, of a foundational aspect to the state's economy because, you know, sand, gravel, and rock, that's used primarily in construction, road construction. Uh, we also ship a lot of steel products that's used in manufacturing and a lot of ag products. Um, so you've got a lot of the economic activity in Arkansas uh, tied to a lot of these shipments. Um, and so for the first, um, half of the year, like I said, the sand gravel rock shipments are 1.7 million tons. That's up 22%. Chemical fertilizers, they're often used in, uh, primarily, I should say, used in the ag sector. Uh, those shipments are a little over 1 million tons. That's down 15%. Wheat shipments are up 10%. Iron and steel is up 3%. And that's been hmm. kind of hitting, um, hit and miss. So that's up. And I talked to Brian Day, the Port of Little Rock. Uh, he said there's kind of been a supply chain, <laughs> not surprised, kind of been a supply chain problem with iron and steel shipments, which again are critical to the state's manufacturing sector. But that he thinks that supply chain is improving. He thinks those shipments will improve for, in the back, back half of 2022. And then soybeans, of course, which are very important to Arkansas, those shipments are down 20, 26%. And that could be a function, uh, as I've been told before, soybeans can often, depending on the prices and availability of equipment, can be shipped by truck, rail, or barge, and also depending on where it's going. So that being down 26% doesn't tell me a lot about the actual uh, production in Arkansas of soybeans, but I'm sure the port operators would like to see that number come up. Uh, and these numbers are... Kyle, they're up against what was a 4% increase uh, in 2021. So it's a, it's been a healthy number. Uh, and again, I've talked to Brian Day. I've talked to uh, who's a port of Little Rock, Marty Shell, who runs ports in Van Buren and Fort Smith. And they both tell me that they just, they're filling up barges and shipping them out as fast as they can get them in. So um, that's a good aspect of the economy. You know, for quite a while, I guess it was last year, we were talking about Fiona Hills uh, Golf Course, what was going to happen. There's a clubhouse there, and there may be a reuse for the clubhouse, but it may not be that different, really, than what was there. Right. We'll, we'll see. It's a little kind of in a gray area right now. 
um, a guy named David Malay owned Fiona Hills Country Club in, in the golf course, and he closed it uh, in December on December 31st, 2018. And then probably for a year and a half, maybe two years, there were efforts to try to buy that, and they all fell through. And so um, the court that that effort's over because there there have already been developments on some of the uh, holes, some of the fairways, and some of the so you're not um, you're not going to be able to play play golf unless you're going to play through somebody's apartment or whatever. <laughs> so the, the golf course, those days are over. But the enforcement board of directors on Tuesday approved what's called the PZD uh, Plan Zoning District that would allow Malay to reopen the club for similar use. And and all we're getting right now is it would be a, a restaurant would not be a fast food restaurant that the directors were assured because um, the it's there there's some nervousness about what it can be used for because it's sitting right in the middle right of a residential area and it's sitting right in the middle of some pretty high-end residential homes um so uh so they're concerned about its use but he he says it'll be used for a restaurant could be used for a restaurant a health club whatever that might be so um we'll see the pzd essentially Gave uh, David Malay and whoever's working for him kind of the uh, the ability now to go market it for uses that are that are prescribed under that PZD. So we'll see. It would be nice for that to, for that building. Um, again, it's a building with a great view. Um, uh, so hopefully they can bring that back to a useful function. Also this past week, uh, Bill Hanna was announced as the 2022 Jack White Leadership Award recipient. What does this mean? Well, I think it's uh, one of the, if not the most prestigious business leadership, uh, excuse me, community and business leadership awards in the Fort Smith region. Um, it's named after Jack White. He was the uh, og and manager in Arkansas. Worked for og and for 35 years. He was a Navy veteran. And I worked with him a thousand years ago when I was at the Portsmouth Chamber. He was the chairman of our board for quite a while. He died suddenly from sudden illness at the age of 57 back in 1997. And ever since then, the Leadership Fort Smith program has every year recognized some an outstanding community or business leader with this Jack Watt Award program. And Bill Hanna is certainly uh, uh, deserving of the award. He's have president and CEO of Hannah oil and gas have operations excuse me, in the U S uh, in Canada. It's a third generation family owned energy business. More importantly, he has been, um, gosh, I don't know how many years now, but several years active in, in redeveloping and really re-engaging, um, downtown Fort Smith. He, he's pushed for the truck study. He's been chairman of the uh, Central business improvement district, and he has taken uh, he, his company um, took the old the old um, Shipley Bakery building that which sat just empty right there in the middle of downtown, right across the street from the convention center, right across the street from the Sebastian County Courthouse, and right across the street from Hannah's very nice uh, corporate headquarters. He has renovated that into what's now called the Bakery District, and it is. Uh, the hip place to go. I know my daughters, when they were going through high school mm-hmm. and were here uh, during college because of COVID lockdowns, that's where they met their friends. I mean, that's the, that's the hip place to go. Um, all kinds of events there. And so it's really turned it into a destination place for downtown Fort Smith. 
Um, and so that's, I mean, that's just a short list. He's been, um, with the boys and girls club, um, and the chamber board, um, I could just go on. I'm not going to, but it's very deserving and kudos to Mr. Hanna. He's very humble. When I called him about it, he was like, well, I'm sure there are better people. And I, I knew he kind of, if you know, Bill, you know, he's going to say something like that, but, uh, kudos to him. And they will, uh, officially, um, give that award to him, uh, on July 14th, uh, which was, um, last night. So, That'll be the um, the official um, presentation then. We ended last week's conversation with sort of a goodbye to a business in Fort Smith that was closing after decades. We'll end with this a goodbye to a career that is ending in, in um, after nearly 50 years. Fred Williams is retiring. What can you tell us about Fred Williams? Well, um, I, I, we don't have time to say everything I'd like to say about Fred Williams, but uh, one of the uh, easily one of the best people uh, I know. Uh, he was a mentor to me. Excuse me. I'll read a quote from Kenny King, who um, Kenny King was early on in what's called KMAC Enterprises. They end up owning hundreds of Taco Bell and KFC and Golden Corral franchises in several states. I think about seven states. But they brought Fred Williams on early on to help them market these stores and um, market them in the communities and that kind of thing. Um, and one of the things that um, I like what King said, I interviewed Mr. King probably for about 20, 30 minutes on the story. Quote, he said, a lot of people have learned a lot of things from Fred Williams. He has definitely left his mark on the Van Buren and Fort Smith area. And I think that hits it. Look, if you don't know Fred in this part of the world or he hasn't worked with you on something or helped you on something or provided you a little bit of advice, you just hadn't been trying or you just hadn't, you've just been under a rock. Um, probably if there's a, if I had to put in a top five list of people who've had a uh, tremendous impact on the region, he would definitely be in that, be in that list. So, but he's retiring after 46 years. He headed Williams Crawford and associates. It's a marketing and advertising agency. Um, Kevin Crawford uh, is now uh, the sole partner is taking that over. Um, but he's just retiring. And he asked me to write the retirement story, one of the most difficult stories I've written in a long time, just in terms of <laughs> pressure. But um, uh, a good guy. I, one of the other quotes that um, I liked is that he worked for, because you, and I didn't realize this. He worked for the North American division of Mercedes Benz. They hired this little low ad agency out of Fort Smith to help them with some of their marketing. And he said, it's because they called him quote, an oasis of creativity and a desert of med- mediocrity. And the other, I'll close with this. The other good story is early on when, um, Kenny King and Ken Magruder had, were asked by Taco Taco Bell corporate to hire a local advertising agency. They interviewed firms from Little Rock, Memphis, and then, Fred Williams, just kind of a one or two man shop. And uh, Kenny King said that um, Fred's just had an off the wall pitch. Just, it was completely different from what the other folks told him. And I asked Fred, I said, what'd you tell him? Quote, he said, I told them I didn't know the first damn thing about the fast food business, but that I knew the people. And then he goes on to explain how he used his knowledge of people to connect that corporation 
with their customer. And it's a great, it's a great story. Oh, it's a, it, that story is great, but so is the story that you can find at Talk Business and Politics about him. And uh, I encourage everyone to go there. And you can read about all the other things we've talked about and so much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, whether you go to the root cellar or not, I hope you come back and talk to me next week. Uh, it's, a, it's a day. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol has begun a series of public hearings. They say their goal is to investigate what led to the riot, whether the attackers were coordinated, and why law enforcement failed to stop the breach of the Capitol. Keep listening. We'll bring you live coverage with expert analysis of each of the January 6th committee's public hearings from NPR News. NPR's live coverage of the January 6th hearing scheduled to continue Thursday night. You can listen on KUAF 91.3 or by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. You can also use the KUAF app for iPhone or iPad. Governor Asa Hutchinson has made the call for a special session of the General Assembly for the week of August 8th. That session is to address the record state surplus in the budget. It's in excess of $1.6 billion. On the agenda, tax cuts. Not on the agenda, teacher pay raises. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore reports. As recently as June 24th, the governor announced his support for raising the pay of teachers in the state. According to a press release, he says Arkansas is ranked 48th in the nation for teacher pay and that our goal should be to have 100% of our teachers making above $40,000 annually and even made a proposal saying such to the legislature. But just 11 days later, the governor called a special session to address the more than $1.6 billion surplus in the state budget, but pointed out that, quote, in terms of the increase in teacher salary, there is not support in the legislature for it, so I'm not going to put it on the agenda, end quote. Carol Fleming is a speech-language pathologist and the president of the Arkansas Education Association, and she says Hutchinson's response is disappointing. The governor recognizes the fact that we have a shortage of professional educators and support professionals in our schools across the state, and this salary increase would have helped us to ensure that our educators were receiving a salary which is competitive compared to those in our surrounding states. Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee all have higher starting pay for teacher salaries than Arkansas. And for school administrators on state lines, they really feel that when it comes to recruiting. Shane Patrick is the assistant superintendent in Siloam Springs, and he says a low starting salary makes it hard to bring in new teachers. We can't just sit back and say that all teachers will come because teachers, the people that teach, love it and they'll do it for the love of it. There's a lot of things out there that people can love and get paid a lot better to do. And it's actually probably, in some cases, there are a lot easier jobs. Megan Godfrey is a state representative for District 89 and a member of the Education Committee for the House. And she says that the caucus for the Democrats in both the House and the Senate fully supported the idea of raising the pay of teachers with the surplus. Well, it seems that tax cuts were the only topic that um, the Republicans were on board with moving forward. I know there were initially some other ideas um, with how to spend our $1.6 billion surplus, 
including teacher pay, including um, making some updates to um, UAMS, to uh, expanding the crime lab. But none of those ideas um, got consensus on the Republican side of things. And so the only thing that Republicans were willing to move forward and vote on in a special session, um, it looks like, um, was, was tax cuts for the wealthy and for corporations and um, a few other tax measures. Jonathan Dismang, a Republican state senator from BB, chairs the Joint Budget Committee, and he will be doing much of the legwork legislatively in the special session. In a recent interview with Roby Brock of Talk Business and Politics, he points out that just last year they passed a bill to increase teacher salaries by $2,000 and doesn't believe there's a need to take time in the special session to address additional raises. Uh, really, it was nothing against teachers per se. Uh, it was against uh, not wanting to increase expenditures in this special session. Uh, members were comfortable with looking at decreasing revenues, but again, not increasing ongoing expenses. And then also, there's a lot of unknown for that on how it would impact a school district. Uh, we didn't want to put mandates on a school district that they weren't able to live up to as far as being able to continue that increased pay for teachers. Dan Sullivan, a Republican senator from Jonesboro, asked on his public Facebook page why teachers would complain to legislators asking for a raise. He says, quote, spending their own dollars on classroom supplies is a popular refrain. Why is this an issue for the state legislature? Should the legislature be regulating Kleenex, paper towels, handy wipes and crayon spending? End quote. Shane Patrick, the assistant superintendent from Salem Springs, says he doesn't see this as a Democrat or a Republican issue. I don't understand why politics plays in this at all. This is just the right thing to do. It's, you know, I I had this conversation with a colleague last week, and we talked about the fact that some of the canned responses that some of our legislators are replying back to people who are sending letters or emails to encourage them to take up this uh, issue in the special session is they say that, you know, our schools are being funded adequately adequately based on the adequacy studies that have been done historically. And my deal to that is if we're 48th in the nation in teacher pay, what part of that is adequate? Patrick says he's worried that the lack of action from the legislature won't just impact teachers in his school district. He says other school staff, like food service workers and custodians, are suffering from the lack of adequate funding to schools. It's all of those different people that make up a school system that make it run. All of those people should be compensated fairly. And if you look out there, we're having a hard time finding food service workers because they can go to a fast food restaurant and make more than we can afford to pay them. What would you advocate for citizens who are frustrated about this, who want to see this sort of action happen? What would you suggest that they do? Well, I think you should contact your legislators. I think, you know, we heard from a lot of educators, both classroom teachers and superintendents and educators in all um, roles within schools, reaching out to us and saying, please support the governor's proposal. We we need it. We not only teachers wanting that pay increase, but also superintendents saying, yes, we need this pay increase and this funding to be able to provide better learning experiences for our students. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention 
placing 44 of Arkansas's 75 counties in the high category when it comes to the rate of COVID-19. That includes Sebastian, Crawford, Johnson, Franklin, Logan, Yell, and Scott counties. Only two counties in the state are not considered to have either high or medium rates, and neither of those low-rate counties are in our broadcast area. The CDC determination is based on the center's weekly counts of new cases and hospitalizations. The CDC recommendation is for people in high-level counties to wear masks indoors. Author Erica L. Sanchez gives herself and her readers permission to write about it all, especially mental health. It's poisonous to keep silent and to keep these really traumatic events just locked up inside of our bodies. Erica L. Sanchez on her new memoir, Crying in the Bathroom, next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. It's been a minute tomorrow morning at 10 on KUAF. You don't have to wait until tomorrow to hear the brand new single, Mountain Home, from Dandelion Heart. The song is available now. That's the song Mountain Home from Dandelion Heart, recorded at Homestead Studio in downtown Fayetteville and released today. This week, two of the four members of Dandelion Heart were gracious enough to come to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Corey McKelvey, who plays banjo and mandalele, and Lacey Hamilton, who plays guitar. Both also sing, but everyone in Dandelion Heart sings. We like harmonies. We like dynamics. Um, I would say uh, our vocals are kind of our... Highlight. Yeah, our forte, probably. We have great instrumentation as well, um, but yeah, vocals, we're all about singing. (laughs) (laughs) During the pandemic, did anything change for the band? I feel like that's kind of when we really had the time to say like, hey, maybe some of these experimental instruments (laughs) that are actually just normal instruments um, are kind of getting in the way of what we want our sound to really be. Um, So I think it gave us a chance to really kind of hone in on that sound and eliminate some of those extraneous things and, um, yeah, just kind of get better at what we're trying to do, really. We did, we released our debut album at the very beginning of the pandemic, and that was kind of still in the experimental stage. And so, um, and it's called retrospect. So in retrospect, we uh, realized, okay, we're trying to do too much and actually we can like really fine fine tune everything if we'll just kind of like scale back on instrumentation and so we've become more of just a strictly acoustic string band with obviously the the vocals and harmonies yeah i think as a musician you know you love so many different kinds of music and so it's your heart's desire to like incorporate everything that you can and then it it works well for a lot of musicians but um it just wasn't what we needed to do i think but mountain home this single and i want to talk about homestead studio here in a second Mm -hmm. it's sure it's acoustic but it's it's got a lot of sound right it's produced yes it's it's what i imagine phil Spector might have done with you know (laughs) an all acoustic i do still feel that what you hear in the uh in the recording is what you can hear live if you come to a dandelion heart show um we didn't add any extra instruments or anything it's cello and guitar and banjo and and the voices. And the voices. So um, 
and obviously uh, Eric did an amazing job of mixing it and making yes. like boosting all the things that you want boosted. But it, that's that's our sound, and that's what we've been really working to um, hone over the last few years. Eric, the producer, Eric Whithands, um, at home said, so tell me about recording there. Uh, it was lovely. Um, you know, we had this original plan to kind of be in their uh, former space, which was at his home, um, and that was so great, but then he kind of end up, ended up calling us and saying, hey, we might need to push this out a few weeks if you want to record in this new space that I'm getting. So um, we were kind of all feeling like that was just going to be the right thing. It, it felt comfortable to say yes to that and go ahead and wait and, and try the new space. And just he's so great to work with. So we got to be the first official uh, recording uh, session at the new beautiful space. Mountain Home the Single is available now, today. How do you find it? So um, we always first like to say you can download it on our website because the direct way is the best way. Um, but it will be available on all streaming sites. Um, so, yeah, hear it wherever you can. YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all the places. Amazon Music. As a music consumer, here's, oh, here's a fantastic single. This is great. Now I want more. <laughs> <laughs> will there be more recording? We have uh, one other song that we recorded with this same session, which is one of Chase's songs that she has written. Um, and so that will be coming out at some point. We're kind of holding on to that one for a little bit. Um, and yeah, that's our plan moving forward is just to kind of get some more singles uh, taken care of. And then yeah, we already out. did the full album thing. So now we're kind of playing the singles game and it's, it's fun and it kind of allows for um, us to be a little more relaxed. We're not trying to cram everything in. Mm -hmm all at once and it it definitely felt way more low pressure um, just getting in and making these two songs sound really really good and giving it the time that it needs um, you know we kind of told people that we were doing it but we didn't give ourselves like a deadline or anything and so everything is just it, it it's as good as we want it to be and, just mentioned that Chase and Willa aren't in studio with us, but we love them and they're amazing. Um, and I would just recommend coming to a show so you can hear the whole the whole shebang because we're yes. working together. That's what is Dandelion Heart is the four of us. And just to say that we have grown so much. So if you haven't heard us live in even a year, especially if it was two or longer, mm -hmm. um, I think that you'll really be blown away and pleased with what we got going now. If you keep calling, I'm coming back to you. If you 
Corey McKelvey and Lacey Hamilton are two of the four members of Dandelion Heart that came to the Carver Center for Public Radio this week. The new song from Dandelion Heart, Mountain Home, out today. More about the band, the song, and live performances at dandelionheartband.com. Sunday night, the Roots HQ in downtown Fayetteville will host a guitar double bill. Jake Herzog and Daniel Champagne will each play a set beginning at 7. The guitarists have a mutual respect for each other, though they've never met. Jake Herzog is a composer, musician, and assistant professor in the University of Arkansas Department of Music. Jake says, in a way, Sunday night's concert has been coming together for years. Flashback, uh, around the time when I moved here, I got in touch with a... Actually, believe it or not, it was before I moved here, when I was still living in New York, uh, I was contacted by a record label based in Arkansas called Fret Monkey Records. They're based out of Conway. And they have a catalog of all guitar players that can best be characterized as experimental, folk, acoustic, and all kinds of creative ways of playing the guitar. And so we had been talking about doing a project together, and then lo and behold, I end up moving to Arkansas, almost down the street, relatively speaking. So uh, I put out an, an album with them in 2018, which was the duo guitar record called Stringscapes. And one of the really neat things that that label has done is not only re- release a lot of music and support a lot of very unique artists, but they've built a, a sort of cooperative of fingerstyle guitar players and guitar players from all over the world doing unique and interesting things. So one of the neat things about guitar players is we love hanging out with other guitar players. So uh, Daniel is part of that broader collective of, I think it's called the Fingerstyle Collective of Guitarists. And so through the label, uh, they his management contacted me and he wanted to do a, a collaboration show in Arkansas. Uh, and so that's how that this this bill came together. So have the two of you personally met? Nope. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's one of the neatest things about uh, an independent label like this and one that is sort of specialized in terms of what the kinds of music that it um, that it works with is that it really tries to generate connections between the artists. So uh, I've had great experience with, with them and other artists have as well. But I think one of the things that Fret Monkey has tried to do is go beyond just putting out music to actually building connections between the artists. So it's pretty routine practice for an artist in the UK to be helping book shows for an American artist, for a, a, a Turkish artist, and so on. So in so doing, each artist has more friends in more places and more possibilities to perform. When guitarists get together, do they talk guitars? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I have to say, one of the things that has been uh, really fun for me about getting to know um, some of the folks in the Fingerstyle Collective is a lot of them approach the guitar so differently than what I have gone through as a, a quasi-academic approach and a sort of jazz-type approach to the guitar. And a lot of these artists have have uh, combined techniques from other stringed instruments like banjo and mandolin and ukulele together uh, and a lot of uh, sort of two-hand tapping, a lot of really interesting techniques that were sort of used to be considered extended <laughs> techniques and now are common practice. Uh, and so it, I, I love 
interacting with these kind of players because they don't come from the same place I come from um, uh, educationally most of the time. And so we get this amazing, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. <laughs> it's really exciting. But we should also say this isn't only for guitarists. Oh, no. This isn't some sort of insular shoegazing guitar workshop. No, absolutely not. Uh, and and in fact, uh, this whole collective, this whole label is devoted to all the all the really neat music that can be made. Uh, and Daniel and I are an interesting pair because I, uh, I'm going to be playing some of my solo classical music for electric guitar, which is heavily affected, and I'll play some free improv and some looping and the sort of uh, left wing of the spectrum of things that I like to do. Uh, and Daniel is supporting a new record, and he's got this sort of intricate folk music with really neat uh, accompaniment, and he's playing solo so it's going to be a neat pair. I think there'll be something for everybody there. Is there an example, a cut of yours that we could play to give people kind of a, a hint of what that left wing of your repertoire might sound like Sunday night? Absolutely. Uh, the, the record I did a few years back called Well Lit Shadow is uh, all solo uh, electric guitar music. And that's part of what I'll be playing. Jake Herzog will be in concert Sunday night at 7 at Roots HQ, sharing the bill with Daniel Champagne. We talked at the Carver Center for Public Radio this week. More info at FayettevilleRoots.org. KUAF is giving away two tickets to see Josh Groban with special guests, including the New Orleans-based Preservation Hall Jazz Band at the Walmart Amp in Rogers on Thursday, July 21st at 7 p.m. The winner will be announced on Wednesday, July 20th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. KUAF.com for more information and to enter to win. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from her Bella Vista office, Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome back, Becca. Thank you so much. Thank you all for giving me a day off. I had to go to Austin to see a new grandbaby. It was an important trip. Of course it boy, was. boy, is she cute. I'm... <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that at all. And if I had grandchildren here, I would not be on the phone with you. I would be at the Amazium. Oh, they're having a big old celebration. Today is their seventh birthday. And apparently, for your seventh birthday, you get woolly things. Right. They're doing all sorts of soft exhibits and interactive activities. They're calling it a woolly, wonderful seventh birthday then tomorrow you can take yourself to the rogers historical museum what's happening there well you can take a serious route or a less serious route they have an exhibit up that's called civil war in benton county untold stories and it looks at the home front during the civil war Lots of interesting things to think about, including the African-American people who were here during the Civil War and some of the ones that stayed. Hmm. And the fact that there was guerrilla warfare and really the battle coming to people's front doorstep. 
They have some new artifacts, including a section of a family coverlet that survived the Battle of Pea Ridge and letters and documents and clothing. And it's a great way to consider the Civil War at home. And I'm take that's the serious side that you can do. What's it's the, the serious side. The less serious? It opens tomorrow, and it's called A Dash of Apple Vinegar. And it's an exhibit about the apple industry in Rogers. And great phrase from the museum, what they did with the bad apples. <laughs> they made apple cider vinegar out of them. Mm-hmm. All right. And they've got all sorts of new artifacts. An antique workbench from the Rogers Vinegar Company plant, coopering tools for making wooden barrels, a bunch of historic bottles and memorabilia related to the apple cider vinegar industry, and even a hand-painted necktie advertising Rogers brand vinegar. Now, I remember when I first moved to Arkansas and I lived in Rogers, you could still smell the vinegar plant at the corner of 2nd and Cedar Streets. It was there till 2001. Really? Wow, I didn't realize it was there that late. Okay. And on a lovely night's breeze, we were probably maybe a mile and a half or two miles from it. On a lovely night's breeze, the smell of apple cider vinegar came wafting down the road. And it was really quite lovely. That exhibit's on until December 31st, and I think it's going to be super cool. And just to point out, you can, go, there, you can go to Rogers Historical Museum and take in both. You can do the apples and the yes. Civil War at the oh, same yes. visit. Yeah, and they're both free. Yeah. But if you're, looking for, if you're looking for either serious or less serious. Right, right. That was, that was my suggestion. Right. Sometimes you just, the Civil War's hard. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> right. And then this is also an opera in the Ozarks weekend. We're getting around to the end of opera. Tonight is a little night music at the opera in the Ozarks Theater in Eureka Springs. Tomorrow night is La Rondine, and Sunday afternoon is Cozy Fantuti. And if you're going to go, it's getting to be about time. Yeah, I mean, it ends as July ends, correct? Yes. Yeah. And if you're looking for tickets, it's opera.org. And tomorrow, Still on the Hill performs their Words on Birds concert at 6 o'clock at Ozark Folkways. And then, and that's $10, I think. Yeah, $10. And then on July 30th, Still on the Hill and the Ozark Highballers will celebrate the 50-year anniversary of the Buffalo National River with a Rhythms of the River concert at 2 o'clock at the Schoolhouse Meeting Rooms in Gilbert. Now, next week, huge theater week. Annie's opening at Fort Smith Little Theater. Hunchback of Notre Dame is opening at Arts One Presents. And a musical called Disaster is opening at Arkansas Public Theater. So we'll have all kinds of theater news in the next week or so. I look forward to that. Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome back from Texas. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Kyle. This is Ozarks at Large. Our chances to take in the Dirty South, contemporary art, material culture, and the sonic impulse at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, dwindling. The exhibit ends on the 25th. If you've waited this long, don't worry. 
This weekend offers free admission and several events connected to the art. We reached out to Moira Anderson, Associate Director of Public Programming at Crystal Bridges, to find out more. So this is um, what we're looking at as more of, you know, a celebration weekend as the culminating event for the Dirty South exhibition. Um, several of the artists that have their work featured in the Dirty South will be on site to have discussions um, in our Great Hall on their work, on some of the themes that they're exploring. Um, but in addition, we also have um, a performance that's happening in the Great Hall that's created by um, poets uh, and musical performers centered on the Slug Saloon and the Dirty South exhibition, as well as community performances on Sunday that um, are bringing together local performances for spoken word and hip hop uh, that's been coordinated by Big Piff. So a lot of different, or a, a lot of variety um, with the engagements that we're offering for our public to take part in, uh, really just to come and experience the exhibition. There's also free um, admission for the exhibition itself. So people can uh, come and see the artwork that uh, these artists and local performers has, have spent so much time creating the engagements around. I love the idea that you can go to this wonderful exhibit, see artwork by someone like Nick Cave, and then you can hear and see be in the same room as Nick Cave talks about his inspiration and his work. That's amazing. Yeah, no, what an opportunity. We have so many living artists that are, you know, exhibiting their work um, in the exhibition right now. So the, the opportunity to connect directly with them is really important um, for our guests. And I will say that, you know, it won't be a traditional lecture either. We always work really closely with the artists to see how they can expand on engaging, you know, whether that's through the way in which they directly speak to the audience itself, or like I said, have the opportunity to come and um, create like actual performances for our guests to experience that really broaden um, the understanding of the artwork. What are the conversations like when you, because I know when you're a museum like Crystal Bridges, you're planning goes years out for exhibits but when you get together with your colleagues and talk about how you can take these exhibits just off the gallery walls and have concerts and talks and events and community involvement what are those conversations like in the planning stages a huge part and it's it's the same with any type of um you know programming opportunity that we're creating around exhibitions as we're looking for the widest variety of experience possible for our audiences and you know our audiences are we're hoping to reach anyone and everyone um so coming up with um different ways to creatively entice experience for our guests to experience the artwork opportunities for them to connect directly with the artists um, or works of art um, is, is, is prime um, for the way in which we think about um, educational programming at the museum. So we do consider, you know, the um, widest variety of whether it is, you know, art making, hands-on, performance-based experiences, because we know that reaches a different type of audience too. Um, of course, those dialogue-based programs like the lectures and the panel discussions are, are wonderful, um, but, you know, the widest, the widest variety and range possible. Are you ever, do you ever try to be a fly on the wall and go in with the public and hear reactions to an exhibit, just see what people are saying when they look at the work? I've, 
I feel like my job, I'm always a fly on the wall in the most part. So it's very behind the scenes. Um, and that's one working with the artists um, that, that come in and, you know, helping to, uh, you know, facilitate what they, what they want to do in the public and, um, you know, uh, doing that. But then I'm, I'm there for almost every program that we have. So I get the opportunity to see those reactions, to talk with people, um, you know, before and after the program happens, but also in the gallery, um, listen and connect directly with guests. So it's, it's actually one of the, um, one of the things that I, I love the most because it's also um, that moment of authentic uh, communication and connection uh, with those who are coming to experience the museum. We talked with Moira Anderson, the Associate Director of Public Programming at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville via Zoom yesterday. Details about the Dirty South can be found at crystalbridges.org. The 2022 Fayetteville Roots Festival is August 25th through the 27th. This festival of roots music, local food, and Ozark culture with a Thursday night VIP party at Fayetteville Public Library featuring more than 20 guest chefs and tasting stations. Event tickets, passes to local restaurant takeovers, late night stage tickets, and more available at FayettevilleRoots.org. In the background is trombonist Ryan Keebler, and the tune is Big Kick Blues. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Ryan as well as Percy Heath, Jimmy Green, Kelly Friesen, the Sons of Brazil, and much more. All this on this week's edition of Shades of Jazz. You can join me right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz, tonight at 10 on KUAF 91.3 and tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. When it comes to this weekend, art, music, theater, it's easy to use that familiar infomercial hook. But wait, there's more. Well, there is more, including Sweatfest, a collection of music from across the state, including local rockers, the Flems. This week, KUAF's Robert Bishop talked with the organizer of Sweatfest, Vaughn Mims, and collected some of his thoughts about it. Yeah, so um, Sweatfest is a DIY day fest. Um, so that consists of 11 bands from Fayetteville and Little Rock. And then we have, I believe, 14 vendors, um, which ranges anywhere from ceramics artists, um, visual artists doing prints and stuff. We have Matt Adams Foundation, which specializes in uh, the education of the opioid crisis, fentanyl, all that stuff. Um, then we have um, a local organization called Ozark Holler Mutts, and they find stray dogs in the Ozarks and rehome them to safe places. And then we're also working with Cocoon Collective, and we're actually raising money for Cocoon Collective. Um, and what they do is facilitate a safe space for young queer teens uh, and young adults and help facilitate mental health practices so like group, th- group therapy and that kind of stuff. Um, so we have a wide range of yeah, people. Like yeah. Music-wise, um, Ted Gillum from Little Rock did a lot of the work with the Little Rock bands. He's in a couple of the bands coming up. Um, Little Rock has a great music scene. 
that's actually where I'm from. Um, I wasn't as involved in the rock scene as much as I would have liked before I moved up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a huge influence for me on how I looked at community and DIY spaces and art and music and just all that kind of stuff. Really, like my vision was just a good old punk fest. Um, so I kind of tried to curate just some bands that went with that whole thing. I think the Little Rock bands make up a little over half of the music. So a lot of the bands that you'll see are people that aren't up here all the time. I mean, it's very close, um, but a lot of these bands come up here sometimes, and I can't say for sure, but I would imagine some of them, this is their first time. I think Color Design, this is their first time coming up to Fayetteville, and they're definitely um, doing some really cool stuff. Hopout is a DIY venue, essentially, uh, a house venue. Um, so we showcase lo- local and traveling artists and musicians. Um, that's like kind of the simple gist, um, just like any other house venue, I guess you could say. Um, the big thing for me is that I'm definitely really passionate about facilitating a true, genuine safe space. I really just want to bring people together that don't usually see each other, see art, music, connect, meet your neighbors, meet your community, kind of fill in the gaps and stuff. So we have an Instagram, it's at hopout, H-O-P-O-U-T, all lowercase, hopout underscore DIY, all of it's lowercase. Um, We post flyers, information, all that kind of stuff. We do not post our address out, um, but you can totally message us or ask a friend. If you message us, we'll send it right over to you. Feel free to give the address to your friends. And like I said, we're a safe space, um, but this is not a house party. This is a venue. Like we have no tolerance for abuse, including substance abuse. You know, we take it very seriously. This is a good time for everyone, including sober people, young adults, teens, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You will be asked to leave if you want a party. Um, Go to the bar, go to your friend's party. Um, We're here for music and a good safe time. So give us a follow. We have an account for Sweatfest. Uh, It's also lowercase, Sweatfest underscore NWA. Um, We are posting tons of information this week about rules. We're plugging all the bands, vendors, all that kind of stuff. Um, We actually have a Spotify playlist with a lot of our bands, all but two, I think. Um, And it's just Sweatfest 2022. Um, So DM us for an address. Give us a follow. We have lots of things we want to work on. And yeah, we have a lot of stuff we want to do. You know, it's going to cool off eventually. And so we'll do lots of outdoor things and indoor things and all the in-betweens. So yeah, we're excited to kind of keep stuff moving. Von Mims, organizer of tomorrow's Sweatfest. From 2 until 10. His comments came from an interview conducted this week by KUAF's Robert Bishop at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Again, that Instagram feed is at hopout, H-O-P-O-U-T, all lowercase letters, at hopout underscore D-I-Y. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center, a small business family owned in Fayetteville since 1973. A recent winner of the Outdoor Retailer Inspiration Award, Packrat was recognized for organizing stewardship programs and serving as a model for responsible business practices. More information at packratoc.com. 
Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Monday on Ozarks at Large, Arkansas PBS's Rise and Shine is back for another summer of lessons for children. And again this year, some of Arkansas's Teachers of the Year are participating. First of all, there's so many people that are working so hard at trying to uh, help the community, help the state. And you see that from people who are in the production side uh, to the, the teachers to, uh, you know, people who are out there creating these power packets is one of the things, you know, and that's a, a resource that parents can use uh, to go alongside with kind of the video content is, you know, how can I talk to my kid about uh, developing some of the ideas that maybe was, was shown throughout this week? Rise and shine on Arkansas PBS Explained. Plus, a new Monday batch of archives from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. This week, looking at past recessions in Arkansas. And we'll also find out what it takes to bring eight chamber concerts to six different venues in the middle of summer. We'll have a preview of the Chamber Music on the Mountain Summer Festival. All of that, but wait, there's more on Mondays. Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF 91.3. Also available through the Ozarks at Large podcast that you can download or subscribe to through your preferred podcast distributor. And if you ever want to listen to past editions of Ozarks at Large, you can go to our webpage, ozarksatlarge.com. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Mount Levi. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to our show today included Matthew Moore, Robert Bishop, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, plus we had show assistance from Lee Wood. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. You can still find Daryl many afternoons performing live on his Facebook and Instagram feeds. Just look for... Daryl Sean on those platforms. Those concerts usually start around 4 o'clock our time. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for your continued support of Ozarks at Large, KUAF, and Public Radio from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kelms. Oh, by the way, we're back Sunday morning beginning at 9 for weekend Ozarks at Large. And yes, back Monday at noon and 7 for a new week of daily shows. Please have a safe weekend. Stay cool if you can. We'll talk again soon.